With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Andy Staples on 3. Happy Valentine's Day. Hopefully you are not one of those people out there scrambling, going to the grocery store or the gas station to try to figure out what the heck you're going to do for your significant other. Hopefully you had a plan. Hopefully you executed that plan this morning. I'm realizing now that as a public service next year, maybe February 13th, we need to have a little tutorial. So just we'll mark that down. We'll put it in the calendar. We'll set a reminder because I, I know there's some of you right now that are probably within the sound of my voice that are going, it's what now? It's what day? Yeah, it's Valentine's Day. This is one of the benefits of doing the morning show instead of the, the evening show, though, because I can tell you this now. And you hear it now and you can do something about it. If this was 8 p.m. Eastern time, you'd be effectively screwed. You Well, you'd already be in the doghouse. So just remember if, okay, basic, basic facts for Valentine's Day. Flowers are incredibly expensive on Valentine's Day because they know you're desperate. Don't do flowers. Do something thoughtful. Nail salon gift cards. Whether, and I'm not saying just for the guys to give to the ladies, because I know quite a few, my, my former podcast partner, Ari Wasserman, big fan of a pedicure. So those, those are one way to go. You could do, you know, promise a night out on the town. If, if, if you got kids, you, you promise a, a night off. Works every time. All of these things you can do. All of these things you can do today if you forgot just figure it out, get it arranged, and don't go out tonight. Just set up the thing for later, because if you're going out on Valentine's Day, it is like going out on New Year's Eve. It is purely amateur hour. Don't fall for it. Don't be a sucker. So, now that that's out of the way, we got to talk about what we're doing today. So, FanDuel released all these win totals a couple days ago, and it's very interesting because it allows us to take deep dives into each team's schedule to see exactly where these numbers are coming from. And sometimes they look shocking when you initially open that app and you're scrolling through. But then if you think about it and you look into the schedule, you think, okay, that's not so outrageous. There's a couple that do look outrageous though. There's one specifically. I'll give you a a spoiler alert. We haven't talked about it yet on the show. We're probably doing it next week. It's Oklahoma. Look at Oklahoma. It's a seven and a half. And my friend Gabe Eichard, former Oklahoma center, texted me and said it actually started out at six and a half and got bumped up because people hit it like crazy. But it's a seven and a half. We'll probably talk to the Sooner Scoop guys about that next week because I think that one's very interesting. I think it's low. I give Oklahoma the benefit of the doubt because basically all the program has ever done is win. So even though they're going to the SEC, I'm not as concerned But today we're talking about Nebraska and we're talking about Ole Miss. And there's two questions here. Like the Nebraska one, you'd think we'd be having the same conversation we have with Florida. Can they make a bowl game? Because Nebraska hasn't made a bowl game since 2016. But Nebraska's win total is seven and a half. And we're going to talk to Sean Callahan from Husker Online about that win total. And I'm telling you, when you look at this schedule, and we'll talk about it more with Sean, this feels pretty doable. And I realize they have not been good. I realize that is saying a lot to say, I think they can win eight games. But this looks doable, which surprised the hell out of me. Ole Miss is another story. Zach Berry from OMS Spirit will join us later. Ole Miss is obviously coming in with very different expectations for this season. They won 10 in the regular season last year, 11 total. They feel like they're a college football playoff team. They have seriously upgraded the roster, even though they brought back a ton too. So we'll talk to Zach about what their expectations are, but it's basically CFP or bust. And they're a nine and a half win total at FanDuel. So what that means, 
if they go over, they're getting the, into the playoffs. So you're you're basically deciding with your wallet, do you think Ole Miss is going to make the playoff or not? And I think that's it's a really interesting question. And you look at the schedule. And the thing we have to do with these schedules, and this is why this is such a fun exercise right now, because all of this is relatively new. We saw it a little bit in the ACC last year with Louisville and the, and the schedule draw that they got in the first year of a divisionless ACC. We're going to see it now with the SEC and the Big Ten. You know, the SEC and the Big Ten were so used to the divisional schedules. There's not much room for change. If you have a really good out-of-conference opponent coming in or you rotate it into either a really nasty or really easy opponent from the other division, that's not the case anymore. It's, a, it's all mixed up. It is purely a mixed bag. And, and the SEC, we don't know what the schedule is going to look like past this year. I suspect they're just going to flip it for next year, and then they'll try to figure out from 26 on what they're going to do, if they're going to add a ninth conference game or they're going to stick at eight and just and, and adjust from there. But the Big Ten and the SEC, a lot of it is what you drew this year. Now, we don't know exactly what every team's going to look like, but we can have a pretty basic idea. Do you have a nasty schedule like we saw with Florida the other day? Or do you have something that's a little more manageable? Because it's not just who you get. It's when you get them and in what order. And these things all matter. And we'll talk about that specifically as it relates to Ole Miss. Because I do think they they went up with a pretty nice draw. So we'll talk to Zach about that later in the show. First, got to talk about a little news. The college football playoff. TV deal looks like it is done. Maybe they they do have to get some some housekeeping squared away in terms of format for the college football playoff. The the commissioners have to agree on some things. We'll talk about that in a second. But the deal with ESPN essentially extends this thing through the 2031 season. So it, it the last two years of this current deal plus another four years. And what this will do is makes this a an ESPN only event still it's 1.3 billion a year in rights fees which is sounds like a ton but when you realize that what the commissioners when they got together created the format what they thought they were going to get and they I don't know if they necessarily thought they would get it just from ESPN I thought I think maybe they thought it was going to be sold a little more like the NFL playoffs were sold to different networks but I, I they thought they were going to be able to get near 1.8 billion a year. So they're about half a billion short of where they thought they were going to be, but the market's a little bit softer now. A lot's going on with the other sports, the the regional sports networks that televise a lot of the the Major League Baseball and NBA games collapsed, softened the market pretty considerably, and the other networks did not jump in. Now, it's not necessarily going to be an all ESPN thing. It will be if ESPN wants it to be. But ESPN has negotiated the right to sub-license games. So if it winds up being super popular and Fox or NBC or CBS says, hey, we have to get in on this, ESPN could sell them the rights to some games and they could join in. And if you're ESPN, you, you do that if that's the more profitable option. And we don't, we don't yet know if that will be the more profitable option. But we also know that ESPN and Fox are about to get into business together in a streaming service. So it may be that it's beneficial for both parties to do something like that down the road. But a couple things have to get cleared up. They need to vote on format because remember, they want to change the format with the implosion of the Pac-12. They don't want to go six automatic bids, six at-larges. They want to switch it to five automatic bids, five at-larges, five highest-ranked conference champs automatically in, and then seven at larges. Did I say five? I don't, I, this is a bad at math show, but right now it's the six highest rated conference champs. So to do that, they need a unanimous vote. And there is the sticky wicket. That is the former pack 12, which we are now calling the two pack because there's only two teams, Washington state and Oregon state. Kirk Schultz, president of Washington state going to deliver a proposal according to Ross Dellinger of yahoo.com to his fellow commissioners next week, where he basically says, hey, we would like to be viewed as a power conference and get the revenue distribution that a power conference gets, which is significantly more 
than what the group of five leagues get. They would like to have that past 2026. Needless to say, there is quite a bit of resistance to that. But he's going to try to do that, and he's going to try to use his ability to block this vote as the lever to get what he wants. Now, he says he's all for five at-larges, or excuse me, seven at-larges, five automatic bids, because the there was a little rule change that the CFP commissioners made before all this happened that basically a two-team conference is not going to qualify for an automatic bid. You need to be a bigger conference. And also, the two-pack needs to get to at least eight schools by 2026 to be recognized as a conference by the NCAA. But they do have a transitional period where they can stick with two if they want to. So basically, Kirk Schultz has some ambitions as a rider. He's been through some changes. But he wants the two-pack to get the same amount of money as the other power conferences get. And basically, it would be a per-school thing. So if it's two schools, that's probably okay. I don't think they're going to care that much. Right now, a power conference school gets about $6 million a year from the college football playoff, and a group of five school gets about $1 million a year. So that's what he's saying. It'll obviously be more. So, But he's saying, keep your head up. I will vote for the five automatic bids, seven at-larges. He might even say, how do you want it? Because he's also going to say, I ain't mad at you. But the two-pack does have more control than you would think any two-team conference would have. So we shall see. And if you got any of that, I love you. If you have no idea why I was saying the words I was saying, you probably need to listen to some more hip-hop. But we will see what happens. That will get straightened out. Meanwhile, in Tennessee, in a federal courthouse in Greenville, Tennessee, the NCAA and the Attorney General of Tennessee went at it on Monday in a hearing for an injunction that would table, essentially, the NCAA's NIL rules until there can be a trial in this case involving the state of Tennessee, the Commonwealth of Virginia, and the NCAA. We don't yet know what Judge Clifton Corker will do. We know Clifton Corker has said he thinks the NCAA will ultimately lose a trial. The question is, does he feel like there's enough damage being done in the meantime to issue the injunction, which would essentially invalidate the NCAA's NIL rules until the, the trial happens? My guess is if he does that, there will never be a trial and the rules will just go away. The question is, is he going to do that? And we, we don't quite know yet, but we do know there was a moment in the hearing and Basically, a lot of the arguments had been done on paper. It was a very short hearing. But a moment in the hearing, when, which did not go well for the NCAA, where Cliff and Corker was asking some procedural stuff about the rules, and one of the NCAA attorneys essentially gave the wrong answer, got confused, had to go back and, and, and go through and check the rule, and said, said something was okay when it wasn't. And that was something that Jonathan Scrimetti, the Tennessee AG, seized on and something that the judge kind of seized on. So here's Jonathan Scrimetti on the courthouse steps. Our friends at VolQuest got us this video. Uh, it is, uh, he, he's been asked about this moment during the hearing where the NCAA attorney kind of flubbed up and, and said, you can do this. Oh, wait, no, you can't. Oh, wait, can you do this? And that probably was pretty helpful for for Tennessee's case. Well, I never want to read too much into any one comment because there are there are a lot of factors at play. We've got a thoughtful judge who's going to look at all the arguments in the record. But I think it's important for, for the public to understand that these kids are subject to potentially severe penalties for rules that have been changing over the last few years and that still today in a federal courtroom aren't totally clear. And it's not right to subject people to serious punishment when they don't know what rules they're supposed to be following. So I did think that was an important point that came up. Yeah, that's a pretty effective argument. And especially if you're trying to argue that it needs to be tabled now because there could be people harmed in the meantime before the trial happens, it, it makes it a pretty easy argument where you say, listen, they have some fairly significant penalties, especially on the player side, if they enforce these rules, but they don't even know what the rules are themselves. And it's understandable. The rules have been changing, going back and forth. And 
it has been a, a very influx process. So Scrimetti was also asked whether he thinks the judge is going to grant the injunction. And, and he said he's not sure. Yeah, whatever happens today is not going to tell us what's going to happen in the long run. This is about immediate relief and whether the NCAA can continue to threaten enforcement of these rules in the short term. In the long run, we're fighting about whether these rules are legal at all. And that's the most important part of it. That's the big fight. So it'll be maybe a week, maybe a couple weeks before Clifton Corker issues his ruling on the injunction. And once he does, we'll have an answer. Are the NCAA's NIL rules in effect right now? It's going to be pretty interesting couple weeks. So once he issues that, if he says the injunction's granted, Katie bar the door. If he says, no, we're going to wait until the trial, then everything's still in effect. Tennessee potentially still being investigated by the NCAA. Florida still being investigated by the NCAA. Other schools possibly still being investigated by the NCAA over NIL, quote unquote, violations committed over the past couple of years. It's going to be a fascinating process if that happens because they'll be trying to invalidate those rules at trial. Side by side, the investigations would probably still continue. Although, I, I again, I don't know why the NCAA decided to do this now because it does not work well for them in the long run. It ends badly no matter how this goes. But if the injunction gets granted, then it probably just kind of ends. So we shall see. But... Now, we got to talk win totals. We got to talk schedules. We got to dive deep. We're going to start out in Lincoln, Nebraska, where they have not made a bowl game since 2016. But things are looking up in Matt Rule's year two. One of the biggest recruits Nebraska has signed, Dylan Riola, quarterback. He's on campus now. And there is a lot of hope heading into Matt Rule's year two, including from our friends at FanDuel, who set the over-under for wins at seven and a half, which seems pretty high for a team that has made a bowl game since 2016. We talked to Sean Callahan about whether that number is too high or possibly too low. Joined now by Sean Callahan of Husker Online. We're talking win totals this week because our friends at FanDuel dropped a lot of win totals on us. And speaking of a lot of wins... The folks at FanDuel predicting more wins for Nebraska than we've seen in a mighty long time, Sean. The number is seven and a half. Yeah, I'll be honest, Andy. I was a little just surprised how hot it came out of the gates. I thought, hey, they'll, they'll tread. Let me get it six, six and a half. But when you take a couple steps back, look at the schedule. Look at their first seven games. Look at the power five opponents. Yes, Colorado is in Lincoln, uh, but it's Rutgers in Lincoln. It's Illinois and Lincoln. It's Purdue and Indiana on the road. Year one coach in Indiana. Purdue was arguably one of the you know, worst teams. They lost a lot of players that were good off that team a year ago. So it's about as manageable of an opening seven games as you're going to have. And if you have a freshman quarterback like Dylan Riola, um, it's a heck of a lot better than having to open back-to-back -back weeks on national televised games at Minnesota and at Colorado like Jeff Sims had to do this past year. Yeah, and you think about that, really one fewer turnover in the Minnesota game, we're looking at Nebraska's season entirely differently because it does end in a bowl game probably, and you know they're, they're coming with a little more momentum. But this does look like it sets up nicely for the first bowl trip for the Cornhuskers in a long time. Uh, you mentioned Dylan Riola, and I, I think that's another very interesting piece of this because the way that quarterback recruiting shook out and the, the way that depth chart shook out, you know, Kyle McCord took a visit, but then wound up deciding to go to Syracuse. This is Dylan Riola's show, it feels like. Yeah, he's got to come in in the spring. There's three scholarship quarterbacks. Uh, Heinrich Harburg, who was the primary starter a year ago, is back. Um, yeah. But he got hurt and obviously down the stretch struggled um, once his body got banged around. And then Daniel Kalen, another Elite 11 freshman, will be here. But it's all set up for Riola. I mean, if he comes in and and does what everyone thinks he can do, um, it's hard not to see him as a starter. The arm talent, they, they just haven't had that in this program in a really long time. Well, and, and I'm curious, because like the Colorado game is a great litmus test, I feel like, because they played them in week two last year. 
that was the uh, the turnovers again got out of control at the end of the first half, and then the game just completely got away from them. It feels like it'll be a good way to see how far the rest of this team has come under Matt Rule. Obviously, if it's Riola, the starter, he's new, but everybody else who's been there, what do they look like? Tony White's defense is back. Are they still as good as they were? Yeah, Tony White's defense is going to be really good next year. Um, they were, there's a reason why Nebraska had no NFL combine invites, uh, because all their guys that are good have come back for the most part. Um, Nash Hutmacher, Ty Robinson, Jamari Butler, um, all come back on the front and then Prince Uman Yellen and some really talented guys on the next level pass rushers, uh, MJ Sherman, um, you go down the line and then, then they return, you know, five of their six top DBs led by Tommy Hill, who led the big 10 and pass breakups, um, you know, he's back. Isaac Gifford returns. So it's a really, really good back. So that Colorado game, when you just kind of start to look ahead, they're a really good matchup because the secondary is going to be good. And that stadium will be a hornet's nest for Deion Sanders to come in here because that game just didn't sit well in the state. People obviously did not like to see Nebraska lose in that type of manner to Colorado. And you got to believe that will be Big noon kickoff on Fox, 2.30 CBS or NBC. That will be a big stage uh, for that game when Deion Sanders comes to Lincoln. And Colorado will just finish tangling in its season opener with North Dakota State, which is not really an easy out. Like, that's, that's, not, a, that's not a guaranteed win either there. So that's, that's going to be very intriguing. Nebraska starts with UTEP. So that's a, you know, you're break, breaking that in. Northern Iowa. Illinois opening Big Ten play September 21st. In Lincoln, like you said, this is a it's not an e like Illinois is not a way to ease in because Brett Bielema's team will punch you in the mouth, but it's a good another good kind of test of here's where Nebraska is relative to where it was. Yeah, I think the best way to phrase it is the first seven games, they will not play a team that recruits higher level players than they do. Like there is no Ohio State, there is no Michigan or Oregon, USC you know, where you know that they have higher ranked recruiting classes than you most years. Nebraska recruits higher ranked classes than all of those first seven opponents um, when, when you break that down. Now, do they develop and and build a program? I mean, that that's that's where Matt Rule has to kind of take that big year to step forward that he's been known for. And you mentioned that opener against UTEP, Andy. This is the first time since 2019 that Nebraska will open the season at home. It's the first time since 2019 they'll open the season against a non-Power 5 team. Really? Man, I didn't even – but you're right. They have been on the road or, you know, like last year was – Ireland. A, was a, yeah, they went to Ireland to play Northwestern. Uh, last year was a Thursday night. Here's the first Big Ten game of the year situation. Yeah, this is a this is a much more gradual easing into the the schedule. Now, it it closes – in a nasty, nasty way with Ohio State, UCLA, at USC, Wisconsin, and at Iowa. But when you when you kind of break that down, obviously Ohio State's going to be brutal. That's But they're going to be brutal for everybody. But we don't know what UCLA is going to be. They just hired Deshaun Foster. Actually, question, how worried were folks in Nebraska about Tony White, the defensive coordinator, getting plucked by his alma mater as the head coach? Well, I think people are naturally worried because it is a good fit for Tony White. And obviously, if they came with him with an offer, I think it'd be hard to turn it down. He's from UCLA. He played there. Um, he has been on the radar for jobs. I mean, people believe that he turned down Lincoln Riley to be his D coordinator. Um, he kind of pulled back from the San Diego State job opening when that was there. He was in play for that position. So his name, you know, all the jobs that you would think Tony White might leave Nebraska for they kind of all open this year San Diego State USC UCLA um, but I think Tony knows you know he's making 1.6 million he's one of the highest paid assistant coaches now in the Big Ten Conference I believe top two or three now so he's well paid and I, I think another good year with this defense kind of sustaining what they did in year one um, he, he's going to be up for some more jobs I mean he'll be a head coach it's a matter of just kind of when that process happens so it's possible that Nebraska can split the LA teams. We don't. We actually don't actually know what USC is going to be. I mean, uh, I'm curious. I mentioned this on the show yesterday. Does Lincoln Riley have the benefit of the doubt anymore? Because we came into last season going, oh, they, they just got to get the defense a little bit better. They got Caleb Williams back. 
now they don't bring Caleb Williams back. You know, it's it's Miller Moss or, you know, it, it might be the transfer from Nevada. But we don't know what that's going to look like. DeAnton Lynn, we think, is going to improve their defense. But again, believe it when we see it. Like, it, it other than Ohio State, I don't see a guaranteed loss on this schedule, which is wild considering Nebraska hasn't been to a bowl game since when? 2016. Wow. I mean, I, I think Iowa... You know, if they were still doing West and East divisions, I think Iowa would be the heavy favorite to win a West division again. I mean, I, I do mm-hmm. think the Hawkeyes return a lot, um, you know, with McNamara and, and and some of the key guys coming back on their team. So I didn't, but Nebraska's a- played them so well lately. That's that's the thing. I, I can't I, I can't automatically plug in Iowa right. as beating Nebraska. And I love the LA stretch for Nebraska because you get UCLA in Lincoln in deep November. Mm-hmm. So I kind of say that's advantage traditional Big Ten team when you bring a team like that into possibly cold conditions. Then Nebraska goes out to L.A. for USC, and their offense won't be limited. You know, when you play a November 15th game in the Big Ten, you might have to cut your playbook down to nothing because of the winds and the cold. Well, Nebraska gets to go out to L.A., play USC. You get the full version of Dylan Ryle on that game where we've seen games in late November in this league where – you have to really scale down what you do because of the cold and the wind conditions that time of year. Yeah, it, it is amazing to think about that and, and how UCLA and USC have to adjust. I don't know that Washington and Oregon have to adjust as much because they, they get pretty cold there as well. But it, you, it's funny because you go, yeah, they go to LA and then a week later they're back against Wisconsin in a game that both teams should feel very comfortable in. Right. Yeah, and, and you never – sometimes it can be 60 degrees that time of year. Uh, other times it can be below 20 with 30-mile-an-hour winds out of the north. And when that's happening in the stadium, you know, it really changes special teams. It changes how you throw the ball down the field and what you do, and you better be able to run the ball, and you better be able to stop the run. Um, and I think Nebraska's built to do those things right now. They return a great offensive line group, a very good defensive front, and they're deep at running back. So – they are built for those kinds of games, but I, I love the fact that when they go to USC, Dylan Riola more than likely will have a nice 70-degree night in L.A. To, to play, which doesn't always happen in late November in the Big Ten Conference. It does now, baby. It does now. Well, and like Wisconsin's an interesting one because that's one we we don't know what they're going to be. We we saw the first taste of, of the Luke Fickle team last year uh, with that offense that Phil Longo runs. I, I am of the opinion that if Wisconsin – does develop some team speed on the outside that they're going to be pretty tough, a pretty tough offense to stop. But Nebraska is actually kind of defense that's built to stop an offense like that. Yeah, their their defense matched up. I mean, the, the mobility last year of Wisconsin's quarterback is what hurt them. I mean, they they played well enough to win that game in Madison. The way they jumped up uh, with Chubba Purdy's quick start, um, and you know, it was you know, they had a chance to win it in regulation. They lost it in overtimes. Um, so that one, yeah, just like the Iowa game, I mean, Nebraska has been right there with Wisconsin. Um, I think if the Badgers make a jump, it's going to be on defense. I mean, look at what they did in the portal. You can argue that they brought in by far the best linebacker group in the portal uh, with three highly rated guys joining that roster. So uh, that's probably been the most impressive thing from afar is watching what they've been able to do in the portal as he's upgraded that roster there in Madison. Well, and I, I just think this is going to be a fascinating year for all of these former Big Ten West teams because we've talked about it with with Wisconsin. Like, clearly they are trying to not be a Big Ten West quote-unquote team anymore. They want to be able to, to compete with the Ohio States and the Penn States and the Oregons. Nebraska doesn't seem like that. I mean, Rule's been in the Big 12. You know, he – he designed a team at Baylor to, to compete in the Big 12. He designed a team at Temple to compete in the American. He seems to kind of figure out what, what the, the lay of the land looks like. But I am fascinated to see what Iowa and Illinois and Minnesota, and I know Nebraska doesn't have Minnesota this year, but but what, what do those teams look like? Because their personality was built for the West, and the West doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, if you don't kind of advance your thinking here you are going to be trapped in this kind of six to seven win purgatory in the big 10 where it's going to be hard to advance out of that level um you know to get up to that next tier eight nine ten win type program uh you're gonna have to beat some really good teams you're gonna have to beat teams that recruit at a high high level develop at a high level have great coaches 
and you know the Big Ten West kind of allowed you to maybe bump yourself up to a nine win type season, maybe a ten win season. Those type of years aren't going to be easy to come by now in this eighteen team conference. And we were talking off air; it might be twenty by the summer. You never know if Florida State, North Carolina, and some of these ACC teams join the league down the road. Um, so yeah, the, the, it's going to be hard to to get to a nine win type team in this new conference. Yeah, I mean you've got to recruit differently, you've got to think differently, and I, I think that's where Rule coming in when he did probably helps because he had one year of the Big Ten West, but not enough to kind of color his judgment about what the program has to look like. I, he probably came in with the idea of I got to get it ready for what's coming. And then you think about the injuries he battled with quarterbacks and running backs and all of his top receivers were down. I mean, he, was, he lost his top running backs, his top receivers, and the transfer quarterback, they went all in on ended mm -hmm. up being a bust. Um, so his year one, just to even get five wins, um, and they should have made a bowl. That's that's the disappointing thing. They could have probably won seven or eight games. Um, and, and I think that's what upsets a lot of Husker fans, how close they were to getting back to a bowl. But if that would have played out, maybe they don't get Dylan Raiola. I think the way – the quarterback spot reopened itself back up because Chubba Purdy, Jeff Sims, Heinrich Harburg really never grasped it. That probably played as big of a factor of getting Dylan Riola. So um, you can argue that the, the way things ended probably played a huge factor to get Riola to Lincoln. Yeah, it definitely feels like early playing time was was very important to Riola because if you look at the timing of, of the flip from Georgia, coincides pretty closely with when Carson Beck made a definitive decision to come back where obviously that job was not going to be open this year. So, you know, this is, like you said, Riola's show. What's it been like for him in Lincoln early on? Is he is he as big of a rock star as you would imagine? Yeah, I mean, he's everywhere. I mean, you know, he's already probably having to go into back doors and wear hats around town because, I mean, he's more recognizable than anybody in this town. And, I mean, I was coaching a first-grade girls basketball game, and, one of those giant multi-gym complexes and he rolled in and you know uh, took a bunch of pictures with a group of second grade boys and and autographs and you know you see him sitting courtside at basketball games next to the athletic director of trev alberts i mean it, it's it's been wild just to think the first month what it's been like for him here and obviously the you know we don't know the terms but we know he's got a significant nil agreement with uh, the 1890 collective and, uh, and other things in place so uh, he's unlike any other student athlete that's probably come on this campus in a long, long time, especially in the NIL era. Reminds me a little bit of when I was covering Florida and, and Tim Tebow was a freshman and I, my wife and I are in Best Buy and this is, so he's played the, the majority of his freshman season at that point. So it's between the, the regular season and the, and the bowl game. And my wife and I are in Best Buy and as we're walking out, we see Tim and his, his older brother walking in and I just kind of point, pointed out to her, I was like, Hey, that's Tim Tebow. And she's like, oh, that's interesting. And so we, we walk out and I ran into uh, the wife of one of the assistant coaches a couple of days later. And I said, yeah, we saw Tim at, uh, at Best Buy the other day. And she goes, you know, they had to call the cops to get him out of there, right? <laughs> I was like, that, but that's, that's what happens in some of these campuses when, when you have that highly touted kind of savior, the program quarterback. Well, and he was identified as a freshman in high school. And that helps add to the, you know, the, the marketing of a guy like Raiola when fan bases learn your name when they're that young and follow you through. And there's obviously been a lot of dr dr drama with how his recruiting process played out. Um, I don't know if there's ever been a more recognizable recruit come to campus in Nebraska in a long, long time. Well, it, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. And uh, it, it's interesting because it feels like that defense will take some pressure off him in your we're like, we're, we keep talking about him, but somebody like Nash Huttmacher will be the one who kind of helps him along because he won't have to score as many points. Well, and remember, Rule wants to run the ball. He wants to play with tight ends and a fullback. I mean, he uses that San Francisco 49ers model as the style mm -hmm. he wants to play on. I mean, he that's how they want to build their team with interchangeable parts, you know, guys that can come in and play tight end, fullback, receiver, running backs. And he believes like that's their their way that they can build a winning roster. So yeah, Raul is going to be a huge part of it if he wins the job and, and everything goes fine. But they want to have a lot around him too. Yeah, and we know that Rule like he has this fullback camp to go find his Kyle Uzcheck. The question is, can you can you get your Christian McCaffrey and your Debo Samuel? That's the the tricky part. Yeah, I know you're right. The fullback camp's back, by the way, and and all right, and yes. the uh, post, in the postgraduate camp, and they they found like two players from that camp 
uh, James Williams, who had some sacks and games this year, mm-hmm. came from like the postgraduate just show up and try out camp. Wow. It's it, it's amazing. And, and it's a little old school flavor from Nebraska. You know, the program that, that had the best walk on program in the country like they they seem to that's the interesting is rule does seem to have embraced the things that Nebraskans love about their program. But he's also trying to to build it for the new Big Ten. Well, and they can also pay walk-ons now. I mean, that, that's the yes. other thing. I mean, the, the collective has been huge. Uh, I mean, there's probably three or four guys they signed um, as walk-ons that would have been scholarship-level guy any other year. But because of the flexibility of NIL, they can get these guys in um, as walk-ons, and, and then they can enter some NIL agreements. It is a brave new world of college football, Sean Callahan. And it might be a world – where Nebraska can go over nine and a half, uh, excuse me, nine and a half. I'm, I'm mixing Nebraska and Miami up there. Miami is actually nine and a half. Nebraska might be able to go over seven and a half, which I think they'll take over nine and a half, but I think they'll also take over seven and a half right now. If people would take six in a trip to Detroit right now. I mean, just get to a bowl <laughs> game. I mean, that, that's the first step this program needs to get back to kind of build what they want to be. Well, Eminem has a restaurant at Ford Field called Mom's Spaghetti. So if they were to make it there, there you go. Although you go over seven and a half, the bowl destination probably gets a little warmer. Steve Sipple's in the background. He just got excited about that Detroit report. So <laughs> that's the way to do it. Get get excited about Detroit. And if you wind up in Tampa, that's just all gravy. <laughs> all right. I'm looking forward. It should be a fun year. And um, spring ball doesn't start here until the end of March. So we've kind of got about six weeks of just dog days before spring ball. That's just more time to get excited about Dylan Riola. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. <laughs> Thanks, Eddie. All right. After the deep dive into the Nebraska schedule, I am feeling a little more confident about that seven and a half. And I also am a, a believer that luck sort of balances out. And that was not a lucky team last year. That was a team that there were a couple games probably could have swung with a different bounce of the ball. And I do feel like those things even out. So kind of like the like the over in that one. And did not think I'd hear myself saying that when I first saw it. But it is a, it is a very interesting number. Another number that I think is about right, but I kind of expected it to be a little higher, is Ole Miss. So they are at nine and a half. And Ole Miss obviously made it to New Year's Six Bowl, brings a ton of people back. Also added a lot through the transfer portal. Huge expectations for Lane Kiffin's team in 2024. We talked to Zach Barry from OM Spirit about that nine and a half. And how do you feel about going toward double digits? With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We welcome Zach Barry of OM Spirit and win totals week continues because FanDuel dropped all these win totals on us and we, well, first of all, the Super Bowl just ended. There's no football for a good long time. We need to think about football. We need to think party, positive football thoughts, Zach. So what better way than to try to figure out how does Ole Miss get over nine and a half wins? Because that is the the total that has been set. Uh, that, That is the same as Alabama, the same as LSU. And the only two schools in the SEC that have a higher projected win total, Georgia and Texas at 10 and a half. So interesting spot for that's not where Ole Miss is used to starting the season, but given the way last yeah. season ended, given everybody who's back, it feels like the right spot. Do you have that stat handy when the last time Alabama's win total was this low? 2016. Okay, so it's kind of recent. Okay. Yeah, they're losing wow. they were losing Derrick Henry. They were losing a ton on the defense. They were losing Kenyon Drake. Uh, you didn't know who the quarterback was going to be because remember Hertz yeah. was a freshman. So everybody's thinking it was Blake Kiffin Barnett or Cooper. Left. Yep. Kiffin had just yeah. left. Yeah. So <laughs> full full circle. Full circle. That's um, exactly right. 
You know, I, we talk a lot, talk a lot about it on our show. I believe you and I have briefly touched on it. I think this is Ole Miss Jackson Dart coined the phrase. You know, kind of stealing from from Michael Jordan, um, calling it the last dance. A lot of guys came back on this team. They added a ton in the portal. And look, I do think this is the window for Lane Kiffin. I think this is when you have to strike and you have to take advantage with, in my opinion, the two toughest games on the schedule are at home in Georgia and Oklahoma. You get Georgia November 9th and um, Oklahoma late October. You get a nice runway in the beginning of the year with four, I call them cupcakes, Furman, MTSU, Wake Forest at Wake is not not anywhere near as dangerous as it was in recent years, but um, yeah, two or had, two or three years ago, that's you're looking at that like a coin flip. But now, now you're not thinking yeah. that way. Um, and then Georgia Southern, and then you go head first into SEC play. Um, yeah, I think I think ten and two is absolutely a realistic thing. Uh, and I know with Fanduel with the nine and a half at the hook, it makes it tricky because. Let's say Ole Miss loses one, it's not supposed to. Or, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's some injury concerns. You know, guys are banged up. They lose a tight one. Um, you know, last-second field goal type deal, nine and three. Um, I'm still sticking with ten and two. I think the amount of talent and experience coming back on offense and then the added firepower of Juice Wells – the word is still that Logan Diggs is going to be ready by conference play. I don't know if that'll be Kentucky or if it'll be into October. Um, but I know there's been some back and forth on that. You know, how's the knee? Is he going to be ready? I think that's just an added bonus, Andy. I think Ulysses Bentley is more than capable of being a number one guy. And it's not talked about enough, but almost really likes the true sophomore that'll be behind him and Kedra Griscano four-star guy from Texas that um, Ole Miss beat out a ton of really good programs for. He's just uh, he's just chomping at the bit waiting for his turn. So um, Diggs would be an excellent addition uh, to that backfield as you get into SEC play. And I also anticipate Ole Miss at least kicking the tires a little bit in the spring period in the portal if there's any guys that get in. So um, – yeah, I, I would go over. I feel pretty confident with the defensive additions and Jackson Dart in the third year. And what makes that so interesting is in the new SEC and the new playoff format, 10 and 2 in the SEC feels like you're just at, like, are, you're asking, are they going to make the playoff or not? Because if right, they're 10 yeah. and 2, I would think they're in. I would think, I would think so. Um, you know, in, in, in truly nine and three, nowhere near a guarantee. But depending right. on whatever, especially with their non-conference does, schedule. Yeah, if it's if it's a weird year where it's a bunch of people are losing, and you know it'll be top heavy. It's always going to be top heavy with at least two or three people running the. You know, Michigan, Ohio State running the table. Um, you know, maybe you have somebody in the ACC. Florida State keeps pace with what Norvell's built down there, but. Yeah, I mean, if it gets kind of bogged down around that, you know, six, seven, eight seed range, that that could be something that you could slide in there. You know, depending on, you know, I, I don't, I, I do you know, Andy, the metrics that the committee looks at? Because I feel like it it's changes. The same every ones. Year. It has. It, it's it, it's allegedly the same ones. It's supposed to be twelve best and not twelve most deserving yeah. or anything like that. Uh, what will be interesting to see, like, I am curious, like you just mentioned, what are they going to use? Because I do think strength of schedule probably should matter quite a bit more here. And yeah, a nine and three team that played a brutally tough schedule or a nine and three team that played what is perceived to be an easier schedule. I would think that would be an easy tiebreaker for you. So that the, the, and it'll miss, I mean, as these things go, Got a nice draw from the SEC, and their non-conference is not so bad. Like you, you think right. about it, they get Georgia at home, they get Oklahoma at home, Kentucky, South Carolina, not too bad. At Florida, Lord knows what Florida is going to be at that point in the season because they're, yeah. they're in the, they will be in the teeth of one of the worst stretches of schedule you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> it's but so bad. 
Yeah, it is terrible. McDelatory and I talked about it it's this brutal. week, and it like every time you look at it, it looks worse. <laughs> so now yeah. that said, you got to go to the swamp the week after you play Georgia. There is a you know, do you get beat? Yep. Well, no, actually, there's an open date. That's right. It's a two open date season. Oh, I, I keep forgetting oh. that. I hate they don't put it in the schedule, like because I don't want to do math. That's why. That's it, why it, is, it is. It is tough. But it is. Th- this is this is fascinating because let's talk about what Ole Miss brings back because we 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 keep saying it, but I think offensively, sure. to to help people understand, uh, Trey Harris had a great first season in Oxford, and yeah. then had an NFL decision to make. He decides to come back. Uh, Prescore in the tight end decides to come back. You, uh, everybody knows what happens with Quinshawn Judkins. He left. Ulysses Bentley, who averaged six yards a carry, six point seven mm-hmm. yards a carry, is back. And then most of the line. Yeah, so bring back pretty much everybody up front. And then, oh, by the way, you add two guys from the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line from Washington and Nate Calipo, Julius Buello. You also bring in Jerquan um, Scott from Southern Miss, a guy that's played a ton of football, experienced guy that's going to be on the interior, help with, you know, again, Kiffin, we're good. That's Kiffin's MO. We're going to run the football. We're going to be physical. And then we'll set everything up off of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it got to the point last year where Trey Harris was just, he was, he was damn near automatic. I mean, in the Peach Bowl, I was shocked that everybody in the bins knew number nine was getting the football and Penn State just couldn't stop it. I mean, it was, yeah. it was nothing fancy. It was just an over route or a comeback or a curl or, you know, just it, it wasn't. A trick play, no window dressing. There was nothing fancy. Just, hey, he's our best guy, and we're just going to keep throwing it to him until you stop it. And Penn State couldn't do it, and nobody really could last year. Well, and the, the Juice Wells edition is is the one that – it kind of depends on which Juice Wells you're getting. Are you getting the the healthy version who was just you know unstoppable, or are you getting the one who was banged up for most of the season last year at South Carolina, and you never really got to see it? There's a possibility that Juice Wells might be the best receiver in the SEC if he's healthy. Well, and I think it's it's big for Ole Miss with Trey Harris and Jordan Watkins coming back. You're not having to ask Juice Wells, hey, we need you to come in and be the dude and catch 10, 12 balls a game. Um, now, he very well could catch 10, 12 balls a game if people are just bracketing Trey Harris, taking away Jordan Watkins on the in, on, in the slot. Um but you're, but he's not having to be the number one dude. There's there's not a ton of pressure on him to get those touches every single week. Um, but yeah, I, I think from what I've been told by people up in Columbia and around him, the foot is good. Um, and and I, I think it's also fair to say that Ole Miss probably did their own research and made yeah. sure that he was good to go. And th- that's kind of my thing with Logan Diggs too, is Ole Miss signed him expecting him to compete you know, contribute. Um, but yeah, and then I don't think Priestcorn gets talked about enough. He was banged up all last season, up and down. Um, he had some off the field stuff with, with you know, a death in the family that I mean, just in, incredible. Um, I mean, just to play through that and continue to improve. And by the time it got to the Peach Bowl, I mean, he was unstoppable. Um, I think his presence in that offense along with a guy like Daquan Wright from Virginia Tech who is an athletic freak uh Charles Power and Cody Belair loved him out of high school he was a late bloomer a really versatile ex tight end who I think will complement Priest Corn's kind of throwback um you know almost like a like a Jeremy Shockey type tight end who's yeah. a big physical possession guy who's going to get those those first downs for you. But Daquan Wright's a dude that can really spread the field and uh, get out in space. So the offense, it's crazy to, to even think the offense is getting so much attention in the same cycle when the defense lands Walter Nolan, Prince Umamielin, Pooh Paul, uh, Trey Amos. I, I mean, the, the defensive additions are are pretty loud as well. Well, and the defensive additions were, were pretty critical because offensively, uh, we kind of know what we're getting from Ole Miss. And, and obviously, if Juice Wells is is a healthy version of himself, you're talking mm-hmm. about an offense that could be as productive as maybe that LSU one last year 
when they had Jaden Daniels yeah. and, and Brian Thomas and, and Malik Neighbors. But this one on defense, you know, you saw in the Georgia game. It was like, okay, this is where Ole Miss is deficient. This is uh, just up front yeah. defensively. This is where they have to get better. And they did. They went out and got – so Prince Lee Manny Ellen was, was one of Florida's better defensive linemen. He hopped in the portal, and, and they picked him up. Walter Nolan, everybody knows, was a number one overall recruit, signed with Texas A&M. You know, it, it was kind of up and down, but when he's when he's on, he lives up to the hype. Yeah. yeah you get the number one defensive lineman in the portal, uh, the number two edge, the number three wide receiver. Um, Trey Amos, I don't think, is is getting enough, enough pub. Oh, from Alabama, uh, yeah. I mean, when I talked with Travis Rayer from – from BOL, you know, I, I was like, you've seen him. I want to hear what you have to say, but here's my scouting report. Nick Saban thinks that he's legit. So there you go. Um, well, yeah. When, when Terry on Arnold went out against Tennessee last year, they threw Trey Amos in and felt completely comfortable with yeah. him in their defense. And, and so, and you saw how good that secondary was last year. So if he was, if he was good enough to hang in that secondary, he's going to be good enough yeah. to play pretty much anywhere. Yeah, I mean he's he's the number one corner there any other year when Kool Aid McKinstry and Taryn Arnold are NFL guys. Um, but hey, in the SEC championship, Kool Aid gets hurt. They bring him in, puts the clamps down on on Brock Bowers. Um, had a couple big pass breakups late in that one. So yeah, it's a seasoned guy, and he was really good at Louisiana before he got to Alabama. So again, the theme of experienced older guys that are going to come in, know the deal. They're going to buy into the whole pro mindset, the culture that the locker room already has with the returning production on defense. Cause I, JJ Pegues is back. Jared Ivy's back. Um, yeah. TJ Dudley got to play in the bowl game. Um, he will be eligible for the full season coming off the edge, playing some outside linebacker. Um, so it, it's a, it's a defense that is still, you know, John Saunders is, is back. I think, the secondary is going to be very different and look very different. But I, I think, you know, Yam Banks is someone that doesn't get talked about a lot as a lot of these guys committed in kind of a flurry where it was two or three at a time, where it was a lot of excitement, a lot of excitement. And then there are a couple guys that don't get talked about enough. But Yam Banks, NFL scouts love him. He, he had a decision too and decided to play one more year back closer to home. So it's going to be a fun defense. It's going to look very different, but I'm excited to to see what Pete Golding does with them. Well, and and the Lane Kiffin question is is he going to start winning the games that maybe they aren't supposed to win? Because that's they've gotten to the point where they win the ones they're supposed to win now. And yeah. last year it was Alabama and Georgia. Okay, could you get over the hump? And it doesn't happen this year. It's probably you're probably well definitely Georgia at home. I honestly don't know if there's another one of those because I think Oklahoma, depending on where they're at, Ole Miss, yeah. good chance they're favored in that game. At yeah. LSU, we don't know what LSU is going to be. Yeah, and that's mid-October. It's on yeah. the road, so winning on the road in the SEC is hard no matter what. It, that's the big thing that you I'm sure you've talked about it plenty with people with Texas and Oklahoma. I've heard uh, a couple – you know, national guys, um, you know, shout out to to Roddy Jones. He mentioned it on a show yep. a couple months ago where, you know, hey, Texas and Oklahoma, you're not going to have these sleepy road games anymore where people are, you know, reading a novel and just kicking back. I mean, this is going <laughs> to yeah. be week in, week out, raucous environments, especially Texas. No yeah. disrespect to Oklahoma, but I mean, Texas is going to be everybody's Super Bowl this year. Everybody right. hates Texas. So it, it's <laughs> Even teams that have never played them before hate them. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a very underestimated thing that people are talking about it, but I think once it's a tangible thing that you can see on a Saturday where, and I know Quinn Ewers in, in Texas beat Bama in Tuscaloosa already, so they can do it, but week in, week out, you know. Yeah, are you gonna it's, actually, to it's actually funny with Texas because sort of the knock on Texas was they, play, they would play up or down relative to the level of competition, like – you almost yeah. worry with Texas, like if they come into a hyped road environment against an inferior opponent, they're like, "Oh, we are supposed to show up today." <laughs> and so, yeah. <laughs> although I, th yeah. I, I think they've probably solved that, like the consistency feels there with Texas. 
we don't know yet with Oklahoma. Like, it's interesting that you yeah. mentioned kind of the sleepy, somebody reading a book. Well, now I wasn't reading a book. I believe it was knitting at Kansas a few years ago. Uh, <laughs> the book reading guy was at Florida State back in the Willie Taggart yeah, days. Yeah. But the, so there, was a, there was a young lady knitting uh, while, while the Kansas game was going on. That doesn't happen well, anymore either as Oklahoma learned the hard way last year. So yeah, it's, it's well, going to be. Wasn't it, a, wasn't it a couple years ago in Oklahoma – or, or excuse me, Kansas just let people into games for free. Yes, yes. Like they were just. Oh, like I've just, been to, I've been to a can a game in Kansas when they were terrible, and it is friends and family only. Or back then, like now they're they love it. Like Lance Leipold's done an incredible job, and they they bring people. Yeah. But but what what Oklahoma and Texas are walking into, like what they what they will see if they, well Texas knows about at Arkansas. They just went there a few years ago. But like mm -hmm. when you go to Fayetteville, when you go to Oxford, when you go to Starkville, like it's going to be wild every single time. Yeah. Well, I was talking with some guys last night about Oklahoma's schedule. Um, and it's pretty tough, too. Uh, you, yes. You, the non-conference is, is whatever. But hosting Tennessee September 21st mm -hmm. at Auburn, then you get a bye, then you get the Red River game against Texas. Host South Carolina at Ole Miss. You get a break with Maine at Missouri. Then you get an open date hosting Alabama at LSU to close. Brutal. I mean, even with the even with the Maine and the open date, like it's just it, we talk about it all the time. And look, I hate to do the like, well, we 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 know about it. We've lived it. Like you're gonna find out. But like that's true. <laughs> I mean, just it yeah. it just pounds you just weekend and like it's impossible to get through a year without getting banged up and that's what it's so important to mention that when talking about these win totals is you know jackson dart dude is is tough as hell but he is yet to go through a season without being banged up and mm -hmm. and you're gonna run if you're old mrs quarterback in this offense yeah yeah and look i don't know if kiffin's had these conversations with with Jackson Dart, I know his I know his dad has joked about it. But it's like, man, you gotta slide. You gotta get down. I mean, he did it in the Georgia game. Andy Ole Miss is down 30 points and he tries to run over two Georgia guys. And he did, but he also got hurt. So yeah. that linebacker mentality at quarterback gets you into trouble. But is yeah, I mean is Walker Howard the next guy if if that happens? Yeah, I think so. It's the it's interesting with Austin Simmons, the the kid from Florida that almost mm -hmm. flipped from Florida that jumped up two classes. The staff loves him, raves about him. And talking with him, he doesn't sound like an 18-year-old. He sounds like he's 21 years old, 22, very mature kid. Um, but, yeah, Walker Howard would be next man up. And I know that, that they're excited about him as well, obviously. But um, – yeah, it's just it's it's tough. And how's Jackson Arnold going to respond on right. the road down 10 with eight minutes to go type thing? Um, yeah. Incredibly talented. No doubt about that. <laughs> Ole Miss but... fans just had flashbacks to Johnny Manziel, his his Heisman year. <laughs> Golly, I, I, Mike Hilton probably still ha wakes up in a cold sweat. All the time, that was, trying to tackle that, I, that was cold blooded. What what he did to Ole Miss that year, it was it was unbelievable. But uh, this is a different, like that's the thing. Like this feels different for Ole Miss because even in the, in the freeze years when they had a, a pretty good, pretty talented team, there was still those moments where it's like, oh, they're plucky Ole Miss. They're not supposed to be here. Like they will walk into this season where they are supposed to be one of the best teams in the country. Yeah. I think that's one of the bigger things about the experience and the the older player that Ole Miss has targeted out of the portal. You know, outside of I think I went down the down the line and looked at it. Outside of a, a Morian Walker, the corner from Michigan, mm -hmm. um, pretty much everybody in this portal class are experienced dudes that have played started at least a full year or played multiple years. Um, so yeah, that. That uh, the expectation of, hey, we're no we're no longer the underdog. Like we are the hunted now. Um, yeah, I think Ole Miss they were the hunted for most of last year, but you're still the Alabama, the Georgia. Like no one expects you to to get it done. You're not expected to win this game. It's just 
hey, free shot. Like that was that was the term mm-hmm. that was used all the time with with Ole Miss when they were, you know, the spunky underdog. Now you're 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 getting some some early preseason odds to to win it all. So how do they manage those expectations in the locker room and, you know, staying up every week, um, you know, with some of those SEC games that, hey, you might be a nine and a half, 10 point favorite. Yep. Now, better better get used to it because I I think Lane's kind of figured out this system. Like how now maybe maybe the system changes it. as we're recording this. They just had a hearing in, in Tennessee that'll, that potentially could change the NIL rules. But it feels like Ole Miss is one of the best at dealing with this new system and, and navigating it. So, I mean, until yeah. something materially changes, they're probably going to be able to put together some pretty good rosters. And uh, like yeah. you said, the get old, stay old mentality, it's like, it's like basketball. It's like, yeah. you know, the, the, that's what the basketball coaches always want. Cause they feel like that team's going to be tougher in March. Like, and, yeah. and Ole Miss has, I think has more depth than we've seen in a long time. For sure. Yeah, for so. sure. Especially on both sides now with the offensive linemen that were picked up in the portal. Um, Cause Ole Miss has, some dudes on the offensive line already that have played a ton of football played a lot last year. Now you bring in two guys from Washington played a lot of football going to compete. That's that that's been Kiffin's whole, whole mantra since he got to Ole Miss. We saw it Mm -hmm. last year. They get Spencer Sanders, they get Walker Howard, they get Austin Simmons. Why do you have so many quarterbacks? Kiffin's I'm just going to find who the best guy is. Yeah, because um, they're going to transfer anyway if it doesn't work out. Like, yeah. don't need to be sentimental about it. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's fine. Like the, it's the lottery ticket mentality, like in baseball recruiting. Yeah, yeah. sure. You you sign all these guys for your your baseball class. Okay, maybe the the top four or five are probably going to go pro. But what if they don't? Then right. You get them. Right. So, what if what if two what if two pitchers decide to come play for you? Now you're you, you got them for yeah. three years. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I I think you're right. It's. It, so it, it's it's amazing how different coaches have approached all of this differently, but mm-hmm. Lane Kiffin, Mike Norvell, you know those guys seem to have figured out this that's, is how it works best. That's a good look. It, nobody's better at segues than you, Andy. I wrote a piece the other day drawing some parallels yes. with the Florida State team this past year with Ole Miss with some guys at crucial spots um, and, and how. You know, basically Norvell and and, and the Knowles built to last year. Mm-hmm. And yep. we all know what happened, but the Jared Verse coming back, getting Braden Fisk, getting Keon Coleman, um, that they had all of these high caliber instant impact transfers that just knock it out of the park, played lights out. They run the table. Right. Braden Fisk and Keon Coleman are top 100 NFL draft picks. Like they are... Yes. Yes. Very good play, and maybe yeah. maybe top fifty, and yeah. that that's exactly. I mean, that's what that's your Juice Wells, like Juice Wells, Keon Coleman is is, is the hope. You hope that Juice Wells, yeah, does for Ole Miss what Keon Coleman did for. Yeah, Florida I mean State. that's you're exactly right. So, well, Zach, I have. Uh, I think you may have convinced me. I think I'm. <laughs> I think I may be able to go over on Ole Miss too. This is because okay. it, it is. It is literally Fanduel asking the question: Do you think Ole Miss is going to make the playoff? And pretty much, yeah. I look at the schedule and I think it's a distinct possibility. So, Zach Barry, thank you so much. Yep. See ya. Thank you to Zach Barry of OM Spirit. Thank you to Sean Callahan of Husker Online. We're doing some more of these deep dives into the schedules because this is so much fun and I it's got me pumped for this season. I know it's a long time. I realize they just played the Super Bowl. It's a long time till we get another football game, but this is helping me get through these days. And I just love diving into these schedules because it's so different. This is going to be such a different season. It's going to be very exciting. You know, this is very exciting. Tomorrow is a Dear Andy show, which means you drive the show. You decide what we talk about. So ask me your college football questions, Andy underscore Staples on Twitter, Andy underscore Staples on Instagram, Andy Staples on three at gmail.com. If you would like to email a longer question or you want to turn the video on yourself and be marginally internet famous for a little bit, 
to ask your question. We do love the video questions. So send those my way. We will answer them on Thursday's show. Thank you so much for doing that, by the way. I love your questions. I love to know what you're thinking about. And I'm hoping that we're giving you some food for thought with these deep dives into these schedules because it is definitely making me think a lot about what this season is going to look like. And I got to tell you, I'm getting very, very excited. So excited to see your questions. Hit me up, Andy underscore Staples on social media. Andy Staples on three. Is that right? Andy Staples on three at gmail.com. That's right. We will talk to you tomorrow. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.